0: This week's episode is sponsored by Spaces. Spaces is a new platform backed by 15 plus years of educator feedback designed to document the process and progress behind student learning in your classroom. Join the Spaces community to connect with educators across North America and gain access to free teacher-created resources, help educators who are just starting out on their journey, and learn new things from teachers who have been there before. So visit community.spacesedu.com today. Uh is this the teacher hotline? <laughs> everyone welcome back to another episode of the teacher hotline where we try to answer some of the most pressing questions for teachers in and outside of the classroom today our caller comes from kashul a teacher from alberta kashul how can we help you today hey ron i recently had a conversation with a teacher about how the school system
1: focuses on teaching students technical skills like math science reading and writing don't get me wrong all that's important But in my opinion, I think we need to focus on teaching students skills like learning to be resilient, failing and getting back up, self-motivation, but more importantly, how to learn. Love to hear your personal opinion and expertise on how we can teach these skills in the classroom parallel
0: with our ministry curriculum. Thanks. Thank you so much, Kashal. I am loving your question and agree with you a thousand percent. All the hard skills are absolutely important. But as educators, the heart of what we're trying to really teach students is how do we learn? Learning to be resilient, learning to stay motivated, learning to get back up. But as we all know, that is not an easy skill to teach. But there is one teacher that I know that is attempting to tackle that feat. So today I bring in Eric Jansen, an entrepreneur and faculty member at the Ivy Business School. At Ivy, Eric teaches sales foundation, new venture creation, and, And a course, he designed himself called Hustle and Grit. Eric was recently awarded the HBA Ivy Teaching Award for Outstanding Impact as an Ivy instructor. Eric has always had a knack for teaching because upon graduation from his undergrad, Eric also taught a course called Business 1220 at Ivy and was awarded the Teaching Honorable Certificate for Exceptional Course Ratings. Outside of the classroom, Eric preaches what he teaches. Eric has played a role in many firms on their sales team, none bigger than working for Intellitix as their chief revenue officer. They're most well known for their RFID wristbands used by the world's best live events, such as Coachella, Bonnaroo, and Boots and Hearts. And of course, Eric has his own podcast and the host of the show called the Entrepreneur Podcast. And you probably guessed it, Eric is also a proud graduate from the Ivy Business School. With his HBA and MBA. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. First off, I I know we were saying this offline, but I feel like I got to say this online as well. But I feel like our paths have always come so close together, but it's never actually crossed. Uh, Eric, for those listening out there, was one year older than me. So we were in the same building at the same time at Ivy. Uh, We both taught the same course, Business 1220, but just never at the same time Uh, And here we are now, Uh, Eric is teaching at Ivy, and a lot of my grade 11 and 12 students are now gone through Ivy, teaching his courses. Uh, So it's really cool to actually finally get a chance to chat with you. Once the teaching bug gets you, it's hard to forget about it, eh, Ronald? (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Eric, why don't we jump into this? Uh, There's lots to talk about today. Uh, But before we dive into the caller's question, I think it's important to give the listeners some context to the courses that you teach. And I'm really fascinated by some of the stuff that I've read, um, especially this course called Hustle and Grit. Can you tell the audience a little bit about what that course is about?
1: Yeah, sure. So in I teach in the entrepreneurship area group. So this is a program and a series of courses for either aspiring entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs, And no, schools have no shortage of courses that teach the skills of entrepreneurship right how do you build a strategy how do you come up with a good idea how do you screen it to make sure that it's good how do you bring it to market there's a bunch of different ways to teach that and virtually every entrepreneurship program teaches those types of courses what they don't teach are a lot of the softer skills you know how do you how do you stay sane when you become really busy how do you Deal with mental health issues? Uh, How can you, what actually motivates you as a human? Um, Instead of just sticking your head and working all out, you know, 80 hours a week for the next decade, maybe you should give some thought to what you actually want out of your life before you jump into it. So I think uh, entrepreneurship is really a personal growth engine disguised as a business pursuit. So this is like, everything that I wish I would have learned before jumping into my entrepreneurial journey, everything I wish I would have learned in business school, actually in business school. And that's those are some
0: of the lessons that we focus on. I'm so happy that you have that mindset as an educator because I think oftentimes as teachers, we forget what the end goal is. And you know you hear this feedback so many times from students. We want to learn stuff that we want to use and can use in the real world. And a lot of the things that you talked about Kind of hits on those points. So I want to talk about an assignment that I read online, which I thought was so fascinating. Uh, I read an assignment called the Rejection Olympics, where they have bingo cards and you put students in positions where they are going to get rejected. Like for instance, what I read was ordering a pizza in a donut shop. Walk me through it. How did you come up with an assignment like this, and what was the objective when you designed this project? Yeah,
1: I think uh, a forward-looking indicator of future success is your ability or your tolerance for getting rejected. I mean, you've been through it, Ronald. Anything that you've ever gone out and uh, anything worth getting, anything you've ever accomplished professionally, personally, whether it's you know sticking your neck out to ask someone out on a date or going for a job that you really wanted, whatever it is, I think you have to be willing to get rejected or get actually get rejected a certain number of times in order for one of those to work out. Um, And what I found was when I started teaching that this just wasn't something that a lot of my students were familiar with. Uh, A lot of them super high achieving students hadn't actually experienced the feeling of being flat out rejected or getting told no or falling on their face before. And so what I wanted to do was yeah, you know, I mean, I could lecture this and tell stories and keep them entertained with the the concept of this. But I think really the best way to teach it is to have them experience it themselves. So I architected a learning experience where they would have to actually go out and get rejected. the 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 purpose of it wasn't go out there and, you know, actually get the get on the bus for free or actually get a pizza at Tim Horton's, which you of course can't get. The objective was, Put yourself in a bunch of situations that are incredibly awkward and have a bunch of people tell you no. And <laughs> it's funny. I mean, some of them, the, the purpose was to get rejected, but a handful of them ended up working. So, you know, one of them was try to get on a local radio show. And one of my students last year, I've got the clip or the recording of it, Courtney, she pitched herself to a local radio station, her you know, radio star that she'd always looked up to growing up, and they actually invited her to come on the radio show. So there's, what? Yeah, there's a lot of interesting you know, stories of, of people actually succeeding in some of these. But the gist is that every year we get about 80 students go through this experience. And by the end of it, one of the big key learnings for them is it wasn't nearly as bad or as scary as they thought it was going to be.
0: And I think the sooner you can get over that as a student before you start working full time, the better you're going to be. I love that assignment. I absolutely love that. I actually want to I want to partake in this assignment myself because it just sounds so fascinating. Uh, Yeah, we need to open it up, figure out a way to open it up publicly. We should do it instead of 80 people. We should do 8000 people. I would love to see that. There is another assignment too that I absolutely love. There's so many of them. And the one I I read online as well that you have for your your sales foundation course, uh, which number one is not offered in high school. Nowhere in the ministry of education do they teach sales in any business course, which I think is a a shortcoming. Um, That's a side rant for, for a moment. But one of the things that you decide to assign was to trade up a $5 Amazon gift card to something of higher value and to keep going in a two-week period to see what type of, I guess, good they can get for that $5 gift card. And I read somewhere online that a student actually got a a used car eventually. Is that true? Or is that made up? That is true.
1: They traded up to a used car. Yeah. So that's my sales foundations course. I've spent my whole career... uh, as an entrepreneur, but always on the sales side. So I think in any early and growth stage company, there's really two super important things. Build something that people want and then have the ability to sell it. We don't teach people to sell at all. So it's offered in less than 5% of business schools. And yet 60% of business graduates are going to be in sales roles at some point in their career. It's crazy that we don't teach it. That's going to change in the next decade, but we're just getting started. So... Um the trade up challenge was designed to put students in situations where they'd have to apply a lot of the stuff that they're learning in class. So they start with a $5 Amazon gift card. They have unlimited trades. They can make as many, as many trades as they want. But they have to trade from, you know, for example, a $5 Amazon gift card to got a timer on my desk here, to a timer and then from a timer to a water bottle, from a water bottle to a suitcase, whatever it is. And through that experience they're going to have to, you know, uncover things like figure out what is their pitch? What's the story they want to tell people in order to get them to trade up? Uh, what are the assets that they have at their the disposal? How are they going to go about doing this? Is it a, a, a poll campaign? Like they're going to create a social media account or a TikTok account and try to get people to, to come to them with trades? Are they going to, in a targeted way, go after specific customers and try to figure out if there's someone that they know in their network that they can trade up? So they have to apply a lot of the things that we learn in class. And it's crazy. Yeah, they, you know, year one, we did this. I think maybe the top group came up with a unicycle and I set the bar here. And then year two, the next group came up, came back with a used car. So I don't know, like, can they go up from here this year? We'll find out. But the bar
0: has been set. Very set high. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they can get a used jet. I don't know. That's uh, that sounds pretty- house. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> that would be that would be really, really cool. Um, Eric, the reason why I, I bring all of these stuff up uh is because I, I want to set some context for your assignments and your courses because ultimately the question that our caller wants to know today is, you know, how in the world are we going to teach students how to learn, how to be resilient, how to stay motivated. And a lot of these assignments that you've talked about sort of allude to some of these buckets that we've talked about already. But I notice on your course website, that you highlight specifically a key area that you want students to tackle. And your exact words are mastery in how to learn. So I'm curious, as an educator, how do you teach students how to learn? What is your philosophy and how do you go about that in the classroom? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, I think if you rewind back, our modern school system was not designed really to teach people how to learn. It was designed to teach people how to follow the rules, to stay busy and to fill sports teams. Basically that's, that's how the modern, you know, a lot of the modern <laughs> education programs are designed. Um, and so the specific course, the class that I teach on learning how to learn is rooted in a lot of modern learning theory. So I you know, read, I've read a lot of books on this in, in, uh, building one of the assignments specifically on learning how to learn something new. I consulted with one of the leading experts named, uh, professor Anders Ericsson. He's the guy who came up with the 10,000 hour rule. Um, And so we talk about a lot of concepts that you can use to sort of short circuit or shortcut ways that you can learn new things. Um, The assignment itself, is uh, there's actually an assignment specifically around this learning how to learn. And it gives students two weeks to pick up any sort of new skill that they want to learn. So they take a lot of the concepts that we talk about in class and they apply it to, for example, we literally had our talent show last class. So we had a student You know, pick up the guitar that they wanted to learn for the last 10 years and over a course of 10 weeks through, again, the techniques that we learn, uh, selecting the right things to learn, figuring out the right order to learn them in, uh, having a key reason why you want to learn it, setting stakes of, you know, if you do achieve it, there's a reward. If you don't achieve it, there's some kind of punishment, so to speak. Uh, public accountability, working with mentors and experts. There's a bunch of things that we talk about in class, but they get a chance to apply all of that. And it comes together in a talent show that we have as a class. So I had a student, you know, everything from juggling to solving a Rubik's Cube, to playing the banjo, to uh, knitting a sweater. And they all showcase those new things that they picked up, learning how to learn last over the last two weeks.
0: That's So sorry, what course is this for? Because you teach a couple of courses. This is for Hustle & Grit. Hustle and grit. Okay, that's interesting. So I, I'm sure there are teachers listening to this and thinking, including myself, like, man, this is so cool, like, amazing assignments. But how do you assign a grade for something that's so personal? Or do you, I don't know? Is there a grade attached to something like this?
1: Yeah, c- candidly, I it's a. I wish there wasn't. Right? Like, I wish, I wish at the beginning of the year I could uh, assign. Just everybody gets the average of the class, and then we can forget about this and just focus on the learning. But Probably same for you. I've got a lot of driven students and the grades ultimately still matter to a lot of them in some cases more than they should, but they still matter. So the grade in that one comes from uh, two parts. The first one is what's your plan? So based on the things that we've talked about in class, what's the schedule? Who's the expert that you're going to reach out to? Like What's your whole plan for how you're going to do this thing? Uh, and then the second piece is how did it how what was the execution actually like how closely did you adhere to your plan and a reflection on the overall learnings and the students focus on you know what are the key lessons that they learn what theories from class did they apply and then how do those things how did those impact the way that they think about learning or how they're going to start their career if at all so it's it's a sort of a learn about the thing, apply the thing, and then reflect
0: on the learning that you had over the last two weeks. Mm. You you brought up one point that I'm not sure how much of it you deal with at the university level. Because I'm assuming this is a fourth year course, correct? Yep. So teaching grade 11 and 12 can be challenging for me because especially in grade 12, and it starts in grade 11, that grades become the center focus of the universe, and the learning sometimes becomes second priority. And that makes it very difficult to teach and for students to learn, because I find sometimes students put those blinders on and they kind of skip the whole process and they try to get to the the end, right? They, it's not about the journey. It's about the end destination for them. And as a result, you know you see students write or submit what they think teachers want to see, or worst case scenario. Cheat or or plagiarize to to get those grades, and it's 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 tough as a teacher because you're like us us we're tr- we're trying to educate we're trying to put this stuff in their heads and to be able to grow them into better humans. So how do you run your courses where the focus is on learning and steer away to your point from the grades yeah it
1: it's hard, and I wish I had the perfect answer for you on how to do it because I don't know that I have the perfect answer. Uh, but some things that I've tried that seem to be working for me. Um, The first thing is a large portion of their grade in my courses, and this is true of a lot of Ivy courses, come from a contribution or participation. And this comes from, it's almost a third of their grade, if not more in some of these fourth year classes. And it comes from them having to actually say things, speak up, express their views in class. And I think the reason that's interesting is because, um, or the reason that's a helpful way to grade is when you're alone and working on something in your room, you think that yours is really great, but you're working on it in isolation, right? So like, you don't know how good yours is relative to everybody else's out there, but I think the contribution grade with such a heavy weighting coming from that, you can actually see on a daily basis, you know, sort of where you stand in the pecking order in the room. So you know you and I are really super actively engaged um, and there's a handful of other people that aren't even though they want to be have higher grades they can tell that you know on that given day you and I have sort of you know carried the conversation or had some some interesting contributions more so than they have. So I think one is sort of that public accountability or a public forum for how have they actually done relative to their peers and the heavy weighting on that. Um, the second is I think having just a super clear expectation of what great looks like for me. Um, I'm very clear on day one about the things that I care about, the things that I don't care about. Uh, my course outlines are nauseatingly detailed, probably. You know, like, here's exactly what I'm expecting to see. Uh, this, these are, this is what I don't want to see. This is what I care about. This is what I don't care about. Um, so I think for me, being really explicit from day one about what I'm expecting. And this goes for even rules in my class, you know, like what, what I care about as a person and what I'm like as a person. And if this doesn't sound like it's for you, then you should probably not be in this course. You know, you should drop it before the ad drop deadline. And every single year, there's a handful of students that do. And that's great because they probably would not have done well in the course. They would have been an energy drainer for me. And they probably wouldn't have done well in the course. Um, Another example, Ronald, you can see, but you can, you can see your viewers won't be able to see, but I've got a cell phone jail Yes. OK, so there's a little plastic jail where I, I literally take my phone before I do something like this and I put it in the cell phone jail. And that's a way of me telling my brain that like for the next however long this is you and me and I'm not going to worry about what's going on over there. That is something that I have a really strict policy on in my classes. So you know for better or worse i think this is kind of sad but i think the ability to give somebody your attention is actually going to be or is a competitive differentiator if you can sit in the room and look somebody in the eye and have a conversation and pay attention that will differentiate you as a student or as a job candidate and so i that's one of my rules is like if you if you pull your phone out in class i'm going to call you on it in front of everybody if it's an important thing you should leave and take care of it but if you're here you have to be here and so I think like being super clear about what my expectations are from students from a rules perspective or from a grading perspective right from day one is a good way to, for me at least, it has been a good way to head off any of those challenges or
0: pushback you might get on the grading. This is totally going off topic for a moment, but I feel like I have to ask, what's your policy on, on lates? I know every teacher has their own little thing and, you know, we're talking about grades and all that stuff. I don't know. I'm curious how you handle lates. Is that a thing that bothers you? Is that something that you care about? Don't care about.
1: Um, I'm not as strict on that uh, as I am about a lot of other things. They, they do get like penalized for it. So every class, when it starts, same as you, probably I'm, I take quick attendance and whoever's not, not there gets circled. Uh, and if they come in a few minutes or seconds late, you know, they, I've obviously circled them to show that they are not there, but I will make a note later on that they've been late. So if every, they get, call it 40% of their grade in some cases comes from contribution, half of that grade comes from them just showing up and being on time. So they will get penalized for it. Um, but I generally don't make a case of, you know, stopping class and centering them out in front of a lot of people. Um, I just, I guess my default is I just, you just never know what someone has been through. You know, I, I always think of like, my first instinct is like, you jerk, why are you late? And then I immediately <laughs> think like, what if they're coming from an, a medical appointment or they're coming from, like, there's a, there's probably a reason that they're late. So I, I generally don't center people out for it. Uh, they'll sometimes message me after and apologize for it or before, but I just haven't seen it because I've been prepping or something. Um, and and but they do get penalized for it in their grade unless they give me a, a good excuse afterwards. Right.
0: You talked about keeping the students' attention, and you you use the the phone jail as kind of one example of of doing that. But the one thing I, I read in the article when you were awarded this very prestigious award at Ivy for being one of the best instructors, and they they quoted you, and I want to read this quote, word for word, and I, I want to have a conversation about this. Uh, you, we talk about entertainment and you said in my role as an educator, I have to be a part entertainer. I think it's my obligation to keep the attention of the students. Part of that is packaging up the content in a way that makes students want to learn. I could not personally, I, I could not agree with that statement more. So bravo, Eric Jansen. That is incredible. I, I fully support this, but at the same time, I understand that it's a, it can be, A controversial statement because I'm sure there are teachers out there that don't see themselves as entertainers or do not want to be entertainers. So, when you made that statement, I want to ask you why do you think being a part time entertainer is necessary in the classroom to be, you know, uh, perhaps a good educator?
1: So, a few things. Um, I came from the music business and I know that the average price of a concert ticket in the States is around $125. And when I first started teaching, coming out of the music business, I thought just for fun, let me calculate what a lot of my students are paying on a per hour or per class basis to be in my class, Ronald. It was at least double the price of the average concert ticket, and I thought, my gosh, like if they are—and this is not true—they're paying for a lot of other things aside from just you know my course. But if you—if I broke it down on a per hour basis, I feel the obligation, whether I should or not, I feel the obligation to deliver double the value of a concert in a three-hour class. So a lot of my classes are, are two to three-hour classes. They're long classes. So firstly, I just I feel that obligation because I just came from industry. I know that people pay such good, hard-earned money. So a lot of people borrowing money, right? That isn't even their own to just be there. So I, I feel that I need to deliver on that promise to them. That That's one thing. Um, the second is there are so many people that have so many great ideas, but if you don't package them up in the right way, then they're going to fall on deaf ears. So when I, when I came back to teaching at Ivy, um, I did sort of my own research project as part of my MBA. And it's crazy to me to find out that there are people that are doing uh, a PhD, for example, that might work four to five years, like hundreds and thousands of hours on a specific piece of research. And after thousands of hours working on a specific thing, they put it into a document, they present on it for a couple hours, and it's done. And honestly, a lot of times, nobody reads this document. And it hurt my heart because when I started to dig into those pieces of research, there's amazing stuff in there. A lot of stuff, frankly, that I pull out and then use in my courses. So... um, I found it interesting that there are people who, you know, would dedicate four to five years of their lives to something to statistically prove that some piece of research is true and useful, like actually useful in the real world. But because they didn't package it up right, nobody's ever going to hear it. No one's ever going to read it. It's never going to help anybody in the world. So I also feel like I'm doing a, they're doing themselves or I'm not doing a good enough service in my role as an educator. If I don't pull out some of those insights that other people are coming up with, and then package it up in a way so that some of that research can be useful. Um, So, I mean, those two things are just super important for me. Also, like, go watch a movie, right? A movie is 90 minutes long. Even the end of a really good movie, you're kind of like, this is good. But like, two hours in, you're kind of like, it's a long movie. Like, it's a long time for someone to sit there. So like, I just couldn't imagine doing what I do and not adding an element of, entertainment, making it interesting, making I uh, sound effects and different backgrounds and videos and variants all over the place. Because I think if you don't do that, you're just going to lose the attention of your audience.
0: <laughs> I don't have it plugged in <laughs> right now. but yeah, I definitely That's what do. I want right now. That's the button I want to press after you made that statement. I, I, you know, it's funny yeah. that you said that about um, thinking about uh, the value of a concert ticket. I wasn't thinking in that sense, but similar on day one of school, because I teach 11, 12 accounting, I try to put money in their forefront on day one. And I I say to them, like, this is an elective course. And I know I'm a little bit different. I teach at a private school, so they got to pay tuition for high school. It's not like every other public school teachers out there. But because, to your point, because they do pay money, I feel obligated to want to entertain it again i'm a little bit biased uh you know i'm in the the entertainment world i'm a comedian and i feel like that's kind of just innate in me to want to do that so to your point like i I think i did the math i told the kids on on day one i'm like you know in grade 11 you're paying like roughly i don't know seven thousand dollars per course like that's a lot of money to spend on me over here like i don't think i'm worth seven thousand but i'm gonna make you feel like i'm definitely worth seven more than seven thousand dollars if you take this damn course um Because again, they don't think about it, right? It's their parents' money that they're spending to go, especially in high school. Maybe university, it's a little bit different. They got a part-time job and whatnot. But I want them to feel that that's a lot of money that their parents are spending to send them there. Um, so I, I completely agree with you there. So part two of this question then becomes, learning is important. Being a part-time entertainer is part of that process. How do you entertain your students? What does that look like? If you can give some examples, are you singing, you dancing, you playing music? Like, What does entertainment mean to you? I think the, the key comes down to variety.
1: There's a lot of variety. So variety can come in a lot of different things, right? So when, when I first started teaching uh, online specifically, when I redesigned my courses for online, I thought, we're... When I'm watching or listening to a podcast, what are the things that keep me leaning in and keep me engaged? When I'm what have conferences done to get people to be engaged in an online environment during the pandemic? Uh, what have you what's it what do YouTube channels do to keep people engaged uh in an online environment? So I try to take a lot of those things and integrate them into my online teaching. Um but variety in an in-person class can come from a bunch of different things. So typically my classes will involve some element of there's a lecture component, which is not a standard lecture, right? You, you get something in your mind about what a lecture is actually like. It's not, it's not me standing up in front of the room for 45 minutes on end. There's maybe 8 to 10 minutes max of me monologuing a lecture style something. Uh, we might then jump into some sort of discussion, student-led discussion, uh, where I'm talking you know, 5% of the time, they're talking for 95% of the time. Uh, we might jump into breakout rooms frequently. Uh, I might include, I often include a video, uh, like embedded video, even if it's short, quick, snappy video in the class, I've got, um, sound, I've got, you know, different sound drops that I might drop when I'm encouraging student discussion, the ding, 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 when people are arguing with each other back and (laughs) forth. Um, so I think variance comes from all of those different things. I don't think you use them all at the same time or necessarily in the same class, But all of that variety, I think, really matters. Um, Back to lecturing for a second, because I know you've talked to Eric Silverberg in the past. Um, I actually don't think that lecturing is necessarily a bad thing. I think people give it a little bit of a bad rap. I think students don't hate lectures. They hate bad lectures. Like they say that about advertising, right? People don't hate advertising. You hate bad advertising. And so I think if you can, if you saw the way that I run a lecture with storytelling, with engaging visuals, uh, with, uh, you know, involvement of the audience, it's very, it's very different from the way that you'd normally think of yourself sitting in a 500 person classroom, notebook open, falling asleep, you know, watching someone drone on for two hours.
0: I think that a lot of, introverted teachers or perhaps you know teachers that find this concept foreign to them they don't see themselves as entertainers they they're listening to this probably thinking man like i don't see how this can happen in my classroom so in your own opinion can introverted or reserved teachers can they still be entertainment because you know, they might not be the loudest. They might not be the ones playing music or, you know, pressing the din- din- din sound on, you know, on their phone. Can they still be entertaining in other ways? Yeah, absolutely. I
1: I mean, there are, when I teach sales, I think that you can be, you can apply none of the things that I teach, but be a really domain have a ton of domain expertise be a domain expert in one specific area and that will make you an incredible salesperson so i think even the people that are maybe introverted and uh yet have a very good grasp of the subject matter of the material can still find ways to introduce some variety in the way that they teach one example which might be super uncomfortable because it's still uncomfortable for me Uh, is allowing the class to facilitate the the discussion a little bit more than you do. So putting, sort of operating the way that we do at Ivy in a Socratic style versus a lecture style. So putting, uh, taking a concept that you want to get across, putting it in a little mini case study, and instead of you telling it to the class... How can you put it in a way to the class through a series of questions or a scenario or a case so that by the end of it they are telling you what you so badly want to tell them? Uh, that takes more prep. It takes a little bit of discomfort the first few times that you do it. but I think wrapping the ideas in a way that allows you to uh, get them across sort of through the way that you run the class and run the run the students and get them to ask good questions and facilitate, sort of group discussions with one another. That's sort of the art of teaching, right? Like at the end of it, I always, in my prep, I always have like, I call it the one thing, um, TOT. What's the, what's the one thing that I want students to come away with? And it's always interesting for me to see if any of the students at the end of it, I, I call it the bumper sticker. Like somebody sum up this class, what's the bumper sticker learning from the class? And we go around the room mm. and it's always an ama- a win for me, right? When you don't explicitly say exactly what you want them to get out of it, but inevitably someone in the class is going to say, you know, the one thing that I got out of this class was you got to be really picky about who your customers are. You think that as a salesperson, you should be begging everybody for the business, but no, actually you need to be specific about who your customers are and go try to find them. And it's okay to say no to people. And when someone tells you back what you so badly want to tell them through a lecture, for example, that's the win. That's the win. And I think anybody can find a way to do that. It doesn't need to be with, you know, video and sound drops and all that other stuff.
0: Eric, I'm looking at the time. Uh, we are definitely running. I feel like we could talk for another half an hour if we wanted to. Why don't we wrap things up? Um, why don't we, uh, I want to know, is there anything exciting right now going on in your class? Any projects that you're about to assign uh, that you just assigned? Uh, what's going on in your classroom at this very moment? Well, we just wrapped up our talent
1: show. Uh, and students got a chance to see the skills that they had developed over the last two weeks, uh, between now and next class, they'll be voting on who's going to get the send it award, which is the person that just threw caution to the wind and went all in over the last two weeks to learn a new skill. So next week I'll be awarding them with, uh, I think it's a hoodie that I got. It's from a brand called Seek Discomfort. And so I'm excited to see who the winner is going to be from the talent show who's going to win the Seek Discomfort Award this year.
0: That's what I'm looking forward to next week. That sounds really exciting. And I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that you have your own podcast as well. Uh, Do you want to share with the audience what that is about and where they can find it? Sure. So it's called the Ivy Entrepreneur. And
1: what we... Ivy is an amazing business school who has a a lot of fantastic alumni. And we always bring a lot of them back to the business school. Uh, We just thought it was bizarre that you know why have them back for a room of 50 people when these are really amazing ideas and great stories that we should probably be sharing with a wider audience. So when we invite guests in, we frequently now will either record the class and then open it up publicly for listening later on, or I'll sit down and have a conversation one-on-one with some of these entrepreneurs. So we've had... Um, recently I had Zita Cobb on, who's the uh, founder of the Fogo Island Inn, just amazing social entrepreneur. Uh, one of my favorite authors, Cal Newport. We've had uh, well-known venture capitalist, Janet Bannister, uh, Alan Gertner from Tokyo Smoke. We've got a lot of
0: really well-known, uh, Canadian and international entrepreneurs on. And finally, uh, social media. I know I found a lot of your stuff uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, where can listeners find you on, on social media? Where are you most active? Most active on LinkedIn, for sure. Eric Jansen. Find him on LinkedIn. He posts some incredible stuff about teaching. Uh, So Eric, I just want to say thank you so much uh, for for coming in today. This is uh, honestly, like I said, you've been on my uh, list of people to reach out to. So I've been so happy to be able to have this conversation with you and talk about learning, talk about teaching, um, and just having a great conversation. So thank you so much.
1: If we can help and inspire some more teachers, Ronald, then it was definitely
0: worth the investment. So thanks for having me. Hope to see you in person sometime. I know we've only met virtually, so hopefully we can make that happen. That would be great. Uh, and thank you to all of our listeners out there for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, feel free to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for more episodes coming up. And of course, don't forget to click on Apple, the subscribe button, uh, Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcast for more updates. Guys, thank you so much and we'll see you all next week.